From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. Once the economy fully reopens, uh, we're going to be booming. And, in, and that's why I think you're starting to see interest rates and inflation expectations uh, move higher here over the last few months. That, that The recovery optimism is just building and building. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. Ryan Dietrich here, Jeff Bookbinder on the line, and a special guest. So, Jeff, real quickly, how excited are you? We have a special guest today on our podcast. I'm very excited, Ryan. I guess the only thing to worry about is that our listeners like him better than us, and uh, you know, we get pink slips. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully not a pink slip. Maybe with some somewhere in between. Maybe you get a little break once in a while. That's okay. Although I do like doing the podcast. Honestly, it's one of my favorite. You know, forty-five minutes of the week, to be honest. So that's true. But without further ado, I'm going to bring in Jason Hoodie um, from from the LPL Research Team. Jason, good morning, and thank you so much for joining. How are you doing today? Good morning, Ryan. Uh, I'm great this morning. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, so so guys, um, we're going to talk to Jason for a while about sustainable investing. So it's a little bit different. And I'm going to talk to Jason here in a second about what he does and how he helps our more than 17,000 advisors. But today's outline is, again, talk to Jason for a while about sustainable investing. And then Jeff's going to come back on and we're going to kind of finish the show up talking about what about higher rates? How does it impact stocks? When will it impact stocks? Maybe even stop the bull market because that's in the news all over the place. Then kind of a quick roundup of the strong retail sales and earnings season that are um that is really wrapping up so jason uh gonna go to you here for about 10 minutes or so so this should be a lot of fun first off just kind of tell us what's your title how do you help how long you've been with lpl and how do you help our advisors sure great uh ryan my title uh head of investment manager research so there's a team of us here at lpl research who are um we are doing outreach to all the uh, asset managers that are out there, third-party asset managers, and um, whether it's an equity or a fix, and we're doing all the diligence on those uh, for selection. And those managers are the ones that we end up putting into our MWP model portfolios. Those are the ones that we do write-ups on, we produce collateral on, and then have on the recommended list. Um, in terms of being here at LPL, I joined in uh, 2015, um, so coming on my six-year mark. And I started in the industry back in 2004. Uh, so it's been exciting to see how the industry has changed. Uh, it's been a real exciting uh, being here at LPL. No, absolutely. I mean, Jeff and I work with you and your team every single day, right? We're all part of the LPL research team. I mean, how many, I always like to use this when I'm talking to advisors or doing recruiting or something. How many interviews did your team do with various managers, um, let's say the last couple of years on average? Yeah, so on average, uh, if you're looking at our team, we're doing between, I would say, 900 to 1,000 a year. Uh, and this year is a little different uh, because <laughs> the on-site, of course, um, it, it's been a challenge. But we're actually getting information we didn't get in the past in the sense of doing demos. It's been very exciting to see some developments there. Whereas before, if you're doing these manager meetings, a lot of it's in person. But now we're actually seeing basically show and tell. So there's a lot of a lot of our, our team members are having these meetings. You know, they're having four, five a week uh, throughout the year. So about 900 to 1,000 manager meetings a year. That's awesome. And again, that's a great way to help our advisors. The, the joke I use is if you don't have time to interview a thousand different managers to find your favorite potential manager, potential favorite fund, um, let LPL Research do it for you. And that's what your team does. So Jason, uh, again, thank you for being here. Let's kind of dive in. So this week in our LPL uh, weekly market commentary, we, we called it sustainable investing year in review. 
In other words, sustainable investing. Now, how long, I guess, have you been, before we even get there, how long have you been kind of on the cusp of talking about sustainable investing? Because it's it's really blown up the last two years. But, you know, a couple of years ago, it wasn't that popular. Well, it was, but it wasn't. You know what I mean? How long have you been kind of telling LPL, put it this way, how long have you been telling Burt White, who's joined this podcast before, and some of the uppers, listen, we need to get in this space because it's about to blow up. And you've been dead right on that. How long have you been watching this one? So I joined in 2015 and 2016, I was able to get in on on um, what we were doing in this space. And that was something we, we spent a, a lot of time on, um, really trying to update uh, what we were doing because so much had changed. Uh, again, there's, there's and, and, and again, we can get into the details. Uh, there's a lot of different ways uh, to do sustainable investing, and you may have heard different things about it, but it, um, in the last couple of years, there's a lot of change going on behind the scene. And then 2016, 2017, we were in the background and, and occasionally raising our hands, but the timing uh, may, may not have been right for everyone. But in 2020, there's definitely a, a lot of all focus all at once. Um, so that's where we're getting a little more attention last year and getting um, a lot of new advisors in the space asking questions about it. So we, we fielded a lot of questions last year on the topic. Absolutely. So let's dive in. I mean, let's just start for someone who's listening to this podcast who maybe doesn't quite know. I mean, they've heard about SRI, they've heard about ESG, they've heard about sustainable investing. It's kind of these different kind of names that it go, they all go by about the same thing. When you hear sustainable investing, how do what do we think of here at LPL Research when we hear that word or those words? Yeah, unfortunately, it got, it got confusing over time. So sustainable yes. investing, I, I like to do, it's the umbrella. It's the umbrella of the different ways to implement um, ESG data in, in a way that is trying to um, link to your clients or prospects values into their portfolio in order to get a return that they would get on an, an, any other method. Um, so, you know, you, you've, if you've been in this industry for a while, you've probably have heard of, of divesting or avoiding uh, certain uh, stocks or industries. That's where this started back in 1971. The first, uh, sustainable mutual fund was an SRI mutual fund. And what they were trying to do was exclude um, um, uh, companies that were involved in the Vietnam War. So they excluded, they divested, and they got rid of it. So that's kind of what the origination of the idea was, that you're avoiding and avoided tobacco. You avoided uh, energy potentially. But over time, as more and more ESG data became available to companies, um, started to apply beyond divestment and into what your ESG risks and your GSG opportunities are. So you started having different methods, which is why I go back to that umbrella uh, metaphor, because it could be exclusion, but it could be ESG opportunities. And I think that's in the last decade, you're seeing more and more of that. So you're getting more um, balanced portfolio. So it's not just equity, but it also can be done to fixed income. And then within equity or fixed income, uh, it can be more than just exclusion. It could be looking for those opportunities. Um, and that's where there's a lot of different things happening uh, in this space that, again, once you get beyond the exclusion, there's a lot of other different ways to pull those levers. And when we say ESG, what does that stand for exactly? So those are the uh, another acronym in the industry, uh, the environmental. We, we love government. acronyms, by the way. <laughs> Our name's one, right? LPL. We've got them all over the place. <laughs> That's yeah. right. And and this is one where it's the descriptive of environmental issues. You could think of environmental issues as, as um, you know, I always think of either wastewater management. That's something that every day is an everyday issue. Uh, social issues. Think of, of, of access or affordability. Um, think of labor relations, employee relations. 
And then you've got governance um, that gets into data security or supply chain management. So a lot of different issues kind of stacked up um, that aren't, Ryan, they're not traditionally captured in a um, potentially in an accounting number, right? So a lot of financial analysis uses accounting statements. ESG data is more of supplementary data alongside that. So that's where you, you have this almost in a sense of an extra component on top of that accounting data. Now, why, great stuff there, why would someone invest in this? I mean, what, what would drive someone to go that route, you think? Yeah, so there's really two, two, two competing areas here um, that over time was first uh, personal values. So there's those that want to exclude. Like I said earlier, I, I don't want to have my investments involved in things such as the Vietnam War or tobacco or pick your value. So that's mm-hmm. the first one. And then the second one has been a more slower in coming, but the additional thought of that um, fortifying long-term performance. So it's taking that accounting data and then adding the additional ESG lens, right? And saying, I want to know how you're treating your employees, customers, suppliers. And then what they do, since that data is becoming more available, Ryan, we're able to compare companies that saying, you're treating your employees really well. You're treating your company your suppliers really well. So all of a sudden you can start benchmarking companies on ESG data. So in that sense, it helps identify certain companies' opportunities as well as potential risk. And I think you saw that during COVID, um, that in the sense that um, this is an additional risk management framework to be used to help with um, you know, um, obtaining that long-term performance you're, you're, you're expecting. Uh, absolutely. You mentioned you know taking out tobacco or alcohol or something to do with the Vietnam War. Just given what Jeff and I have been talking about for a while with football, I wonder if we can do that with the NFL and just take out Tom Brady. Wouldn't everybody just be happier, I think? <laughs> anyway, all right, so Jason, let's uh, let's talk. I mean, the performance last year was amazing. And let's be honest, if performance isn't good, it might be a good story, but performance does sell, right? So t- tell me a little bit about, tell our listeners a little bit how well Sustainable did last year in 2020. It did excellent, and um, there's really two lenses to look at. You got your fixed income performance. It was it was um, uh, a little bit more nuanced over there, and then you've got your equity performance. Uh, on the fixed income side, um, a lot of the work being done and sustainable is being done either in green bonds, um, which had a hard uh, first quarter during COVID. Uh, obviously, the corporates higher spreads. We all know what happened in, in there. And then you have high quality of asset back or secure types which did really well during COVID. Uh, but then they kind of flipped, Ryan, during the, during the rest of the year, as you know, when you, when you got the, the, the resulting upswing. Um, so fixed income ended about even. And then on the equity side, on the equity side, you saw a very strong Q1 during the, the um, uh, COVID uh, drawdown. And again, that gets back into identifying um, ESG risk. Uh, so a lot of those risks were already addressed uh, so the companies were in a very good position. And then coming out of that um, um, downturn, um, you had companies with a lot of, of, of ESG uh, opportunity. And you also saw uh, an underweight to names that are defense names, actually. So you would think energy, of course, which is right. true, but we know energy is not that big of the index. So that was there. It was a factor. Another factor was an underweight in defense names, which are aeronautical. Airline. So we know that didn't do well. And then also an overweight into software and into IT. So you could kind of see just in terms of the um, uh, alignment of underweight certain certain industries. So that was helpful. And then style too, Ryan. So a lot of the style 
uh, investment style is, is tilted towards growth uh, and underweight value. So you can kind of see just how the portfolio is tilted. It's tilted towards quality. It's tilted towards growth, tilted away from uh, lower quality names uh, and, and value names. So you could just see through the 2020 um, lens or framework, it was the portfolio was, was really set up for a strong performance during the 2020 year, both during the down market as well coming the up market. Yeah, so obviously some nice tailwinds there, which kind of leads to the final thing I want to talk with you about. Flows. We have seen, and on the YouTube channel, we are sharing uh, some statistics and some charts on this, but the flows that we saw really in 19 and then last year in 2020, truly amazing. Tell us a little bit about um, what's going on there. Yeah, it was, you know, um, again, if you recall, Ryan, you asked me earlier, when did I start at LPL on this? And you can see 2016, 2017 is kind of with my hand. There wasn't much flow. And you heard that. You heard that a lot. And then 2019, you saw that real big spike. It was record setting. And then in 2020, you just built upon another record setting year. So it's a combination of a couple of things. One, you saw a lot of headlines on uh, sustainable investing issues, ESG issues. So you have more and more um, and investors as well as advisors asking questions on this. And that's coupled with, Brian, the, in num the growth and the number of investment vehicles that are available that are doing this in a intentional way. I think that's important to stress intentionality because a lot of confusion in this space is also around how do I find, how do I find names in this space that are, that are um, really doing this work versus they may or may not. So that intentionality is important. So you've, you've seen the number of products triple um, over time. So that allows the end investor, that allows the, uh, the advisor to put together uh, an entire portfolio, really, of, of sustainable investing. Whether you want to do in fixed incomes, there's products available. Whether you want to do it in equity, there's products available. If you just want to do one, um, say one strategy, you can do that too. But um, given that you can now do an entire portfolio of highly liquid uh, name, uh, highly liquid vehicle, you're seeing more and more um, implementation, more and more adoption in this space. Um, as people realize, and as we said in our, in our, in our write-up, uh, once you understand uh, what it is, uh, why it's important, or why some, some end investors think it's important and how to do it, um, you're seeing the ability to do it. Uh, willingness and ability are now aligned. So uh, it's been exciting for those who've been in the space. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what we try to capture here in our, in our short piece. Oh, absolutely. You've done a great job of that, obviously. The way I look at, you know, sustainable is this. We're just investing in general, right? We are our own worst enemies. We know that. Think about last March. There's probably somebody out there listening to this podcast that sold near the bottom in March, their equity positions at least. And, and it's so scary when you have pullbacks like that. But if you believe in your investments, we all know, you know, according to our friends at DFA, every 20 years, the S&P 500's always been higher. If you're willing to hold for 20 years, you're probably going to make money. Now, believe me, there could be some tight periods in between, like the 2000s with 250% corrections. It doesn't feel like it, but if you can hold long enough, you have to remember that. And with ESG and, and sustainable, it feels like you're more connected, right? Because you believe in what you're doing. You believe in these companies. You believe in the process. You believe um, that what you're doing makes sense to make the world a better place, but also, hey, hopefully to help you reach that end, um, end goal nest egg. And I think that's important because people are willing to hold these a little bit when you have more volatility. If, if we have a bear market, <laughs> most equities are going to go down, right? I don't care if the company is aligned or not. It's probably going to go down. But again, as an investor, you're willing to stick with it. And those are some of the things that I've seen 
with a lot of the studies that, that I've uh, seen as re in regards to uh, sustainable investments in general. So Jeff, you've been there nice and quiet for a while. Do you have any questions for Jason before we let him go? Yeah, I do. Thanks, Ryan. Um, yeah. The my question's about the the universe of companies available uh, to the sustainable investors. Right. So one of the criticisms of of ESG and sustainable in past years, we're probably going back, you know, at least four or five years, uh, is that if you you know, constrain your universe that active managers might not have as much opportunity to outperform. So the question is, is the universe of companies growing as more and more companies get on board with, with, with ESGs and, and sustainable? And does that set up these active managers for success in the future more than in the past? Yeah, I think that's a really good question in terms of the constraints. So uh, there's more, definitely, Jeff, there's more data available. Um, so you you have that statistic of how many S&P 500 uh, companies do annual ESG reports, providing that information. And then 10 years ago, I think it was like 5 or 10%, and now it's like 80%. So you're having additional information that's now available for those companies. So now you're having the asset manager on the receiving end of all that additional data can go through it, whereas before it wasn't available. So you have a lot more availability of ESG data. And then the question is what to do with it. So now, Jeff, you can go into uh, energy sector and find potentially the best one when it comes to ESG data. Maybe they, it's called ESG momentum. They're doing certain things within the company to improve, uh, whether it could be suppliers, again, um, um, uh, customers or employees across these various metrics and and the asset managers are looking for the best one relative to that peer group so you're having that again if you're looking at energy across all the different sectors you're having an additional data which leads to increased transparency through so the end result is the asset manager has more choice to build a diversified portfolio whereas in the past potentially that data wasn't there so you have that issue of do i go into something i don't know much about um, or exclude it at this time. So I think it's the the evolution of it is that with the more more transparency, um, those investment decisions get into what I said earlier, fortifying that long term performance. You're able to identify ESG risk or an ESG uh, opportunity on a relative basis. Great stuff, Jason. I, I was afraid this was going to happen. <laughs> We've talked to you most of the podcast, but uh, this was really good. Uh, we'll end it with this. Now, this is obviously a, a public podcast, but you do this for our advisors, kind of in a way behind closed doors. For those advisors listening from, from LPLs, uh, LPL advisors, where can they go for more information on just ESG and, and, and sustainable and some of the things you've talked about today? Yeah, we have two. Thanks, Ryan. We have two uh, landing landing places. The uh, first one's in the Resource Center. We have a Sustainable Investing Hub page. It can be found underneath the uh, news and, and information. You go at the bottom, click down at Sustainable Investing. It contains all the collateral we have available uh, for for uh, our advisors, including the replays of, 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 of videos. Um, in addition, the second one would be we have a Sustainable Investing Study Group, LPL Advisor Only Invite. Uh, if you send an, an email to LPL, sustainableinvesting.com. Uh, we'll respond, add you to the list, and we have quarterly meetings uh, where we go through topics uh, that uh, advisors want us to go through uh, in order to uh, um, highlight the evolving opportunities that we have here at LPL on this, on this topic. 
Awesome. Well, that, this was great, Jason. Thank you very much for being here. Everybody, I've, I've got it in front of me. By the time you listen to this, you could listen to it also. It's it's our recent weekly market commentary. We titled it Sustainable Investing Year in Review uh, with Jason Hoodie and Jeff Bookbinder authoring that one. So Jason, uh, you can sign off now. We appreciate you joining us. Hopefully, maybe we can do this you know, another six months or so because this trend, I don't think is changing like we just said. And it's one that's extremely um, popular, but also, hey, the performance is there as well. And it's a good story and people believe in it. I think this is something you want to jump on the back of it and write it. So good, good stuff there, Jason. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Ryan. Thanks, Jeff, for the invite. You got it. So, Jeff, one week ago, last week on the 19th was the um, the peak of the 10-year bull market, which opened the door to the 34% fastest bear market ever on the YouTube channel. We are sharing the, 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 the um, 16 days is what it took from the all-time high to go down to a bear market trading days. That is faster than the 29 um, crash and the 87 crash. That's just a harsh reminder. Jeff, we do a, a morning call every day with our advisors and and I mentioned, you know, the, the flash crash from May of 2010. It felt like we had the flash crash like 16 days in a row <laughs> during during that. Um, you know, any any kind of takeaways from one year ago? Um, you know, what you remember a year ago? Right now, things are pretty good, but you're, you're where you were a year ago and how you felt. Yeah, I was actually talking to a friend um, over the weekend about. Uh, how we were packing up our offices back then, thinking, oh, maybe we'll be out for a month or two or three. Right. Uh, not too many people thought that we would be, um, at least for most of us, out of the office for a year. So that that is is one thing. In fact, I, I'm going to probably go down to the office here in the next week or so just to just to see it because <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while. Right. Um, I also think it's worth noting that the S&P 500 is about 15% above that pre-pandemic high on February 19th, 2020, 15% above, remarkable. And, and yeah. clearly this recovery is, is far from over. Just tremendous resilience of the US consumer. Uh, I mean, actually not just the consumer, all of us, <laughs> the resilience of all of us. Right. Uh, and then certainly corporate America policymakers have helped as well. Now, 75 State Street, that is the LPL office. I know that. Now right across street is, what's it called? Owls, what's that place? Owls, what is it called? Al Subs, uh, really, really good stuff. Actually, oh, one of the things goodness. I miss most about working yes. downtown. I think I've been to that office a couple of times, and every time I'm there, we get Al's and that greasy, just, you know, meat and cheese sub. Oh, my goodness. Al's is, is I don't know. Maybe maybe they hear this. Maybe they'll send us some free food for giving them a free advertisement. I'll tell you, Al's is awesome. Anyway, all right, Jeff, a couple more minutes. Uh, last week, one of the big things that took place was the retail sales number came in way above expectations, up over 5% month over month, expected to be up, I'm going to say only about 1%. So came in way above one of the largest gains we've ever seen. Yes, some of that, and maybe a good chunk of it, was the $600 checks that people got. But then again, why did the economists not factor that in? I mean, what was your takeaway from just how strong that retail sales number was relative to what anybody was expecting? Yeah, there's even... Even though we haven't gotten this last stimulus package yet, there's still well beyond a trillion dollars of additional savings right. for U.S. consumers out there. And that has to go somewhere. So that is clearly a part of this. A lot of people got those direct payments from the stimulus package that passed in December, about um, $900 billion. We're going to get another maybe nearly $2 trillion, uh, probably passed in the next month, and we're going to see more support. Uh, for consumers to continue to spend. So this bridge, I mean, it, you know, this is not, um, you know, one of those 
rope and ladder kind of a bridges that you get a little nervous walking across, right? <laughs> right. With th this, this is solid steel fortified bridge to the other side of this uh, recovery, right? I mean, it's just, um, once the economy fully reopens, uh, we're gonna be booming. And, and, and that's why I think you're starting to see interest rates and inflation expectations. Uh, move higher here over the last few months. That that the recovery optimism is just building, and building. Uh, as I've said before, we're huge Cobra Kai fans on this uh, on this podcast. And Karate Kid Two was on last night, and I just like oh, watch it for a minute. I totally forgot the part when Daniel like climbs up that tall. Um, I don't know, tall wooden thing to get the girl during the monsoon. He saves her. And it, it reminds me of, you know, you kind of set a, a rope that's about to fall apart. It reminded me of that. But old Daniel's son, he saved her. And that was, that was, uh, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a great show, Karate Kid 2. Karate Kid 1's better. And I think uh, the Netflix show is better, but nonetheless, good stuff. So, Jeff, let's finish it up with earnings season, which is pretty much wrapping up. I think Walmart usually is about the last big name to report the retailers. Um, we, I think we've talked every week. It seems like, oh my goodness, earnings are better than we thought even a week ago. It kind of feels like we're still going there. You want to put a bow on this earnings season in about a minute or so, and then we'll probably wrap it up. Yeah, uh, just tremendous upside. You know, you, you see the 80% of companies beating expectations, which is a really strong number. Um, we did about 12 percentage points more than expected when earnings season began. So coming into it, we thought S&P earnings would be down about 10% or so. Looks like we're gonna be up 3% plus. So just huge wow. upside, that is very abnormal. We did it in Q3, but it's very abnormal. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you see uh, for those watching on, on YouTube, the, the forward earnings for the S&P 500, $173 plus, just, amazing how much expectations have continued to rise even after the bar was raised after Q2 earnings season and after Q3 earnings season. So, you know, we're, we thought 25% earnings growth was possible in 2021. Right. You know, there are a lot of smart folks out there who you, who are using real math, right? Not just making stuff up who think that maybe even that number could be too low. Uh, just a lot of momentum from corporate America. Yes, I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, it could be well above 25%. After that strong retail sales number that we had last week, the Atlanta Fed, which uh, which looks at the potential with the GDP could be with different inputs, they're looking for over 9% jump in the first quarter GDP now, which is just unbelievable. This time a week ago, they were looking for about a 4.5% first quarter GDP. So it's um, truly amazing the continued strength we're seeing on the um, on the economic front as, as things continue to reopen, coupled with a still dovish Fed, coupled with likely more fiscal policy, um, fiscal stimulus, I should say here currently and on the way. So, so Jeff, with all of that, um, I want to thank you for joining this week as always. Uh, definitely want to thank Jason for jumping on to talk about a really, really exciting and potentially um, just, just really wonderful um, you know, a future for sustainable investing. It's been it's been a good future so far, a good past, I should say, so far. But the future looks really bright, and hopefully, Jason uh, showed some really interesting things there for people who are trying to still learn exactly what is ESG, what is SRI, what is sustainable investing. It's something that's not going away, and something that really can continue to do well. So, thanks to Jason as always uh, for joining as well. And with all that, everyone, we'll see you next week for the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals Podcast. Take care, everyone. Bye bye. This material was provided by LPL Financial. 
is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value. 